Paul is on trial. I mean, the whole end of uh, the, the story of Acts is about a trial. And so Paul is the one, on, he's on trial. He's been arrested in Jerusalem. He's being held by Roman military authorities. He's been taken before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel. He is surviving a plan for his assassination. And uh, he is this morning going to be in the court of the Roman procurator of Palestine in Caesarea, a seaport built by the Romans on the Mediterranean Sea. And as we travel with them through these trying days and the trial, there's been this question, well, what has the guy done wrong? And finally today, the charges uh, are finally leveled against Paul. So, so Paul... Uh, Paul is he's charged with disturbing the peace time and again. He's, he's charged with stirring up riots against the Jews all over the world. He's charged with being a ringleader of a seditious sect called the Nazarenes. He's been charged with defiling the temple. And with those charges... Uh, by the Jewish authorities of Jerusalem before the Roman procurator, Paul, I mean, can you imagine having the weight of charges over you? One, you know, one he's, he really is innocent. He hasn't done any of these things. But he's under house arrest. He's under Roman arrest. I mean, he's under arrest. But in the midst of that, Jesus appears to him. Again, this focus on Jesus. And Jesus, you know, there's probably, that we, we have a bit recorded, but I'm sure part of it was, hey, Paul, I know where you are. I know what you're going through. I know it's difficult, but here's my promise to you. It's, it's going to be all right. Everything's going to turn out for the best. You've been a good witness for me. Here in Jerusalem, now you're going to be my witness in Rome. And so Paul is traveling through these proceedings and through the threat of those assassinating. He's traveling with the promise of Jesus. And I think one of his hopes is not only to make it to Rome, but also, well, you know, through this, this system, I, I mean, I hope that there's going to be justice. And so one of the questions we can ask ourselves, you know, as he appears before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel. Is, is he going to receive justice from the Sanhedrin? I mean, here he stands. I mean, just as we began the story of Acts, you'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. I mean, this is a really formal way of that happening. But Paul, inspired, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands as a witness before the Sanhedrin. And the first thing that happens after he opens his mouth is he's slapped across the face. And the end result is he has to be removed by the Roman military tribune in Jerusalem because that military leader feared that that group in that Sanhedrin was going to rip him limb to limb because it got so out of control. So the answer to the question, will he get justice in the Sanhedrin is no. And then you wonder, well, is he going to get justice from Claudius Lysias, the Roman tribune of, of Jerusalem. And as we read a letter that he wrote to Governor Felix in Caesarea, these words are recorded. It turned out 
to be a squabble turned vicious over some of their religious differences, but nothing remotely criminal. So I'm holding, I'm holding Paul under arrest, but there's no, he's done nothing wrong. But I'm, I'm going to make sure he's not killed. So I'm going to deliver him safe and sound to you in Caesarea. But he's done nothing wrong. It's some religious squabble turned violent. Now, that's sad to read, isn't it? So is he going to get justice from the Roman tribune? No. And he gets to Governor Felix. He's the procurator of Palestine. Tacitus, a historian, wrote about Felix. He, that is Felix, reveled in cruelty and lust and wielded the power of a king with the mind of a slave. Can you read between the lines? Is Paul going to get justice from Felix? Luke records for us that once Paul shows up in the court of Felix in Caesarea. Felix, silly-sallied, wishy-washy. He knew far more about the way, that is, the way, big W, those following Jesus, than he let on. He could have settled the case then and there. But uncertain of his best move politically... He played for time. Is there justice with Felix? No. No justice with the Sanhedrin. No justice with the Roman tribune. No justice with the Roman governor. So, I mean, Paul's just left with, I've got this promise from Jesus that it's going to be all right and I've got this hope of justice but by the end of it, still playing up to the Jews and ignoring justice. Felix left Paul in prison for two years. For two years. Paul is under house arrest, no justice done, still a promise. It's going to work out. So what does he do? What does Paul do? with his time. I mean, this would, this, this would be difficult, wouldn't it? I've got a promise for, from Jesus. Everything's going to work out, and yet I'm getting no justice. I'm not being let loose. I haven't done anything, and I'm stuck. What's he do with his time? I'm traveling through a lot of a scripture. I'm coming to a few verses. Acts 24, verse 24 to 26. After Paul has appeared for the first time with Felix in court proceedings charged by a Jewish lawyer, a few days later, Felix and his wife, Drusilla, and Drusilla just happened to be Jewish, sent for Paul and listened to him talk about life, a life of believing in Jesus Christ. 
As Paul continued to insist on right relations with God and his people about a life of moral discipline and the coming judgment, Felix felt things getting a little too close for comfort and dismissed him. That's enough for today. I'll call you back when it's convenient. And at the same time, Felix being the scoundrel that he was, he was secretly hoping that Paul would offer him a substantial bribe. And these conversations were repeated frequently for a period of two years. What I'd like us to see under the trying circumstances of Paul's life, his priority is not the lingering promise. I know he remembered it. I know it was precious to him. But I don't think he woke up every day mad at Jesus. This just didn't happen. And I really need it to happen. I demand And I just think it, okay. It's going to happen. I'm going to keep trusting you. I don't like it. It's difficult. I don't think he, he got up every day bitter that, hey, there's a great injustice happening here. I am not being treated right in the court system. I'm a Roman citizen. And I'm being held wrongly. And I don't think he was overly bitter about that. I think it bothered him. But I don't think it was bitter. I think what really probably dawned on Paul was that, you know... Felix and Drusilla just keep inviting me back for conversation. And every time they ask me to come back, they want to hear more about a Jew believing in Jesus, the Messiah. And Luke tells us that these discussions were about righteousness, about self-control, and about the coming judgment of God. Now one thing you might be disappointed about, but I got to tell you, Paul, in, in what we've learned in, in like every one of the missionary journeys, and what we see right here, Paul is not preaching at Felix and Priscilla. Any more than when he walked into a synagogue, he wasn't preaching at the synagogue. Or when he was on the streets with Gentiles, he wasn't preaching at them. Luke uses a Greek word with Paul. It becomes a technical term. And it's a word that means Paul was a great discussion leader. He invited people into conversation about things that were important concerning Jesus his death, his resurrection, the Messiah, the king and the kingdom. So here he is again. He's at it again. He's being invited into conversation with a governor and his wife. And these conversations, this discussion focuses upon righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment of God. Now righteousness you got to understand Paul's perspective on righteousness. And if you need a refresher, you know, go to Philippians 3 sometime and read. I'm just going to read you one verse. But Paul is talking in conversation, inviting Priscilla and Felix into this conversation about a righteousness that's by faith. It, it's not about a righteousness that you earn by works. 
He's not talking to them about more stringent obedience to the old covenant, to the laws. He's talking about, I met Jesus. And there was a righteousness that was given to me as gift by, by, by faith in Jesus. He says in Philippians 3, I, 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 didn't, I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules. When I could get the robust kind of righteousness that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I trusted Christ and righteousness was imputed to me. It was given to me by faith in Christ Jesus. And and I'm not going to waste my time anymore trying to keep some list of rules and earn righteous standing with God or with people. The gift of righteousness. That's what he talked to Priscilla, I mean Felix and Priscilla about. It's not about legalistic righteousness, striving to obey the law. And when righteousness is talked about and the way Paul talked about it, received by gift, it really comes close to he talked to them about salvation. And in those conversations, he talked to them about self-control. Now, I know, you may not know, but I do know that this was a second marriage for Drusilla. She didn't have the best reputation. Felix did not have the best reputation. They were great candidates for Paul to talk about, like, moral restraint. That, that, they were great candidates for that. And that's what we tend to think with self-control. But I'd like to suggest to you that that might be a little bit conflicting with what he just said about righteousness. That if you go back within the Greek world, the concept of self-control in Hellenism and in Greek thought, the concept behind that, what stands is the ideal of a free and independent man, of a man who is under no control but who freely controls all things and who in self-restraint maintains his freedom, achieves its ethical significance from the humanistic understanding of life which has freedom as its goal. Self-control within the Greek world, the Hellenistic world, would be like a self-reliant person. It is very significant that biblical religion finds so little place for this Hellenistic and Greek concept of self-control. The New Testament is not teaching us to be more self-reliant. The gift of salvation in Christ, righteousness, left no place for an asceticism which merits salvation. An asceticism that merits salvation. Oh, I'm sacrificing to do this. I'm sacrificing not to do this. I'm doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm doing this. I'm not doing this. And at the end of it, I earn my salvation. An asceticism that merits salvation has no place in the New Testament. It's because righteousness is imputed. It's given a gift. 
We're not to be self-reliant. We're to trust Jesus. So Felix, Drusilla, there's this gift of righteousness that God wants to give. It greatly contrasts with everything that you understand about self-reliance and the position that you have as the governor of Palestine with the authority of the Roman emperor. And it's connected with the coming judgment of God. Coming because he's saying that judgment is near. And it's a judgment based upon belief in Jesus, the Messiah, the righteousness imputed as gift. It's not based on righteousness received by earning it. And everyone, it doesn't matter if if you're a governor or you're someone under arrest unjustly. We are all accountable to our Creator and our Savior. Righteousness, self-control, the coming judgment of God, accountability to God for the way we live our life. Now, as Paul led Felix and Drusilla in those kinds of conversations, notice they were startled, they were afraid, And they were terrified. Man, if we buy into this, this could like change our whole life. Like we might lose our position as governor. We might lose our income by, you know, extorting people because we really wish you'd give us a bribe. This was frightening to them. And Felix would end the conversation and say, okay, that's enough. Let's stop for today. And what's really nuts, he would stop it and yet he'd invite Paul back. For two years, this, this conversation went on. Not Paul whining about, well, where's the promise? Not Paul pining away about, oh, it's so unjust. It's Paul on every summons. Let's start the conversation again. Let's focus on Jesus again. Let's focus on what Jesus has done for us. Let's focus on receiving the gift of righteousness. Let's stop trying to self-improve. Let's stop trying to manage our goodness. Let's receive. And let's learn to look forward to being accountable to our Creator and our God. So all of that swirling around, I, I know that as people following Jesus in 2015, I know that we hold on to promises. Things are not the way they are meant to be. And we all have you know, things that we hold on to, promises that Jesus have made that have not yet come true in our lives. And I know that we all hold on to this hope for just to someday everything will be set right. And so I I see us as a community of people today in, in a very similar situation as Paul, except we're not under arrest. But there's no guarantee you won't be arrested. So the questions that I have for myself and for us is, as we hold on to promises, we hope for justice, 
Who's inviting us into discussion about believing in Jesus? And as we're invited into discussion about believing in Jesus, I mean, how do do we keep the focus on true righteousness? The righteousness that is given as gift. How do we keep the focus on? God God doesn't, doesn't intend for us to be pull ourselves up by the bootstraps people. He really wants us to trust in him. How do, we, how do we keep the focus on? Yeah, there is. There is a coming judgment. We are we're accountable with the way. How, how do we keep the focus there? See, I as I as I just listen to us, I feel it's so easy for us to get off track. We, we, you know, for a lot of reasons. One we, one, we read the Bible. We know there's right, there's wrong. We know that. And we can lose track of, but being right and wrong is not the real issue. The real issue is what happens internally. And how do I get right standing with God and then right standing with others? How do I live that out? And not keep my emphasis on what the law is, what the law isn't. I mean, that, that's, hard, that's hard to navigate. You know, it's, and it's hard. I mean, on the one hand, law, the laws of the land are important. On the other hand, they're not so important. I mean, how do you navigate that? Well, bottom line for me is, I will never keep the laws of the land if I'm not right with God. If, I, if I'm not in the right place internally, I'm, I'm going to remain a rebel. I think that's the human dilemma. And so what you and I can do for people is not so much talk about the laws of the land. It's about how do we, at the core of who we are, receive what God wants to do for us so that there's a law written on our heart. The laws written on our heart are more important than laws written on the books. What's happening with us inside? What is God initiating? Do I know, do I know that I know that by, by the works of my own, I'm, not, I'm never going to be right. I'm never going to be good. God can make that happen from the inside out. But what I do, what I try to prove, I love that little expression about asceticism, meriting salvation. Because we're really good about the list of things that we don't do. You know, I'm just sacrificing myself. I'm not doing those. I'm, the flesh really wants to, but I'm not doing them. I'm just going to enter. I'm going to flagellate myself. And I'm going to merit God's favor. No, that didn't work that way. Jesus has gotten us off of that treadmill. So all, I, all I'm saying, man, this is, how do we navigate this together? Because it's real important that we do this together because there's a lot more folks that don't have relationship with Jesus that get a really conflicting message from us. And the message they need to hear is none of us are righteous. 
All of us have fallen short. The only way that I am right with God and right with mankind is because I've received what Jesus has done. I've received the gift. And that same gift is available to everyone. We've got to communicate that to people. Then I just, you know, what would the response be? And I, I really wonder how long could we hang in with conversation? I mean, could we hang in there two years? With people kind of giving mixed signals. Yeah, I want to, I don't want to visit. Yeah, I, want, I don't want to visit. Yeah, I don't want to visit. Last thing I'm really curious about. Whoa. Keeping my balance is one. Who of us, I mean, I'm going to ask you to disclose, okay? Here we go. They're going to ask you to be honest. Who of us right now is having a conversation with a person that is curious about what, it, what, is it, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Who of us is having a conversation with a person that, I don't believe in Jesus. I know you believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm curious about believing in Jesus. So can we have coffee and talk about it? Who of us is in that kind of a conversation right now? You could, you could tell that person. Okay? What, could I ask you to be like bold, even bolder than raise a hand? Just stand up, please. Thank you very much. Uh, as a community of people, how many of us would like to be able to have that kind of relationship and have those kind of conversations, but maybe just don't know how to do it? Anybody? You can raise your hand. You don't have to stand up. Anybody? Anybody would, would anybody like to have those kind of conversations? Okay. <laughs> that pen hanging out of your mouth might not work. Okay. Okay. <laughs> might scare somebody. So could, could I ask this? Could I ask those of us that right now, by God's grace, have a measure of success in having conversations with people, would y'all pray for the rest of us? Those of us that would like to go down this path and have these conversations, would y'all be willing? I mean, obviously, the Holy Spirit's given something to you and you're able to do it. And we would just like to have it too. Would that be fair? Would you be willing to do that? Okay, could I ask, like, if, you're, if you are standing, if you kind of go over here so people could get to you, could you just kind of stand over here? That I, that could I invite those of us that said, you know, you know, I would like to, I really would like to be able to do that. And I, would you pray for me? If you'd just like to pick a person, whoever you think is most trustworthy, and, you know, go to that person.
So I'm going to let them start praying, and then I'm just going to pray a prayer in general and let them continue praying, and the rest of us can, you can hang out or you can go let somebody pray for you in a minute, or however that works. Lord, I thank you that you have a tremendous message to deliver uh, to our planet. I thank you that you've entrusted the delivery of that message to us. Lord, I thank you for those in our community right now that are, are, are they're having conversation with people that are, are not yet believing in Jesus. Lord, I pray that, that you would give to us as a community that gift, the gift of having good conversation with people that don't yet know Jesus. So just as we talked about your righteousness being imputed, given to us by gift, I ask that what you've given to others, that gift of conversation with those not yet believing, that that gift would be given to others, that you'd stir us up, Lord, that you'd give us the ability to have good conversation, focused conversation upon the things that are most important as we deliver your message to our generation. Lord, thank you for doing our, in our lives exactly with what you've done in the lives of people of old. Thank you for what you did for Paul, and thank you that you can do that work in us. And so we thank you, Lord, and we bless you in your name. Amen.